So, Rachel. Yeah? The Enterprise transports the elderly Admiral Mark Jameson to deal with a hostage negotiation on the planet Mordan 4. Hmm. What do you think you're going to get? Unfortunately, I've seen the first few seconds of this, so I know it's someone with old age makeup. So this must be a dodgy deal in return for youth serum, not mm -hmm. a real hostage situation. Or they've realised Picard's frailty slash holodeck obsession, so they've brought someone in who's competent. <laughs> Troy will sense the Admiral wants more than one thing, but this will have no practical use. There you go. <laughs> Captain's log, stardate 41309.5. We are in orbit around Persephone 5, where I have been sent to confer with Admiral Mark Jameson in regard to an extraordinary situation. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey. And I am her husband, Chris Lackey. Years ago, Rachel had never watched Star Trek before, <laughs> but now she has not only watched the next generation but the original series and the animated series and the movies you know you sound like i've got you held hostage and i'm making you say this stuff <laughs> and and she is the best person that's ever lived <laughs> and you're in no danger and i'm in no danger whatsoever moving on this episode is called too short a season not short enough <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you all said that with me at home. Oh, boy. Uh, the teleplay was written by Michael McKellian and D.C. Fontana. Michael Michaelian. Michael Michaelian? Come on, what parents have done that? That's ridiculous. This was based on a short story by Michaelian, directed by Rob Bowman. Hmm. The first shot is of a big, old makeup face, head on a screen. That can now be done with CG, of course. But have there been more successful old age makeups that you've seen? They're never completely believable. Mm. I remember Dick Smith got an Academy Award for his makeup on Little Big Man, where he made Dustin Hoffman like 101 years old. Oh, yeah. Which was pretty good, but mm -hmm. it, I mean, you still know. Lisa Waugh on Ranker.com ranked David Bowie in The Hunger, mm. 1983, and Brad Pitt in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button in the top spots. Yeah. I thought that was CG. It was CG. The latter, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe they had some makeup and then they did CG on top of it. But yeah. Bowie and the Hunger was definitely makeup effects. Yeah, was that good? Have you seen that? I have seen it, but boy, it's been a while since I've watched it. Well, uh, Benjamin Button had 56 people in hair and makeup. So that compared to a television budget. Wow. Well, yeah. The same writer put Marlon Brando in The Godfather and Eddie Murphy in Coming to America in her top list. Oh, right, yeah. Well. Those are good. Mm -hmm. Her top fails were Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2 and Bette Midler for The Boys as well as Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future 2. Oh, yeah, that's pretty rough. <laughs> of course, these had movie budgets, but they could afford $10,000 for the chair that we're going to see in this episode. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. 10000 Could have done with putting that into the makeup. Jeez. So the Enterprise has been sent to Persephone 5 to transport Admiral Mark Jameson to Mordan 4 for hostage negotiations. The planet is at peace after 40 years of civil war, yet terrorists have taken the Federation Ambassador Hawking's hostage and in the opinion of the leader, Karnas, there is only one man qualified to negotiate, Jameson. That sounds dodgy. He negotiated the release of hostages from more than 45 years previously. Hmm. Jameson beams aboard in a wheelchair with his wife, Anne. This is the $10,000 wheelchair yeah, that didn't geez. even work. Uh, it doesn't work? Didn't work. That's why he has to walk out of it, presumably. I don't know. <laughs> oh, right. They never show it actually moving, do no. they? Oh, my God. The wife, Anne, is played by Marsha Hunt, aged 70 here 
who was blacklisted in the 50s due to joining a movement in protest of the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Oh, wow. Good for her. She stood up for her, you know, People ideals, were, yeah. even though it cost her jobs. Yeah. She turned to humanitarianism for world hunger, and in her later years, she's aided homeless shelters and supported same-sex marriage, raised awareness of climate change, and promoted peace in third world countries. Ha, <laughs> not too shabby. Yeah. And she became honorary mayor of Sherman Oaks. <laughs> she'd already been in semi-retirement since 1960 when they filmed this episode. Uh -huh. And currently, she's the oldest woman and second oldest person to have been on Star Trek at 102. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I hope you're still out there kicking it, Marsha. Oh my gosh. So Jameson is a young guy in old age makeup, obviously. Clearly. We know. He's played by actor Clayton Roner, whom I've had drinks with. You have? Yes. Well, this was back in the day when we were living in Los Angeles, obviously. Chad and I went to the Formosa Cafe. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. One of those old Hollywood places. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. I saw Clayton there. He was like just kind of, I think he was by himself or maybe he had one guy that he was talking to. And I was like, that's Clayton Roner, who I know from Just One of the Guys, which was the movie where a girl pretends to be a boy in high school so that she can get a scholarship or get a journalism job. I don't remember what the reason was. But he was the love interest in that movie. Also, he was in this show that I loved at the time called G versus E, Good versus Evil. And it was about two guys that had died and then were brought back from the dead to go hunt demons. Oh. But it was kind of a comedy. <laughs> There's a whole great episode where he's locked in the trunk of a car the whole episode. Oh. It's really funny, really well done. Yeah. I loved it, but it wasn't really popular. So I, I saw him there and I was like, are you... Clayton Roner, he's like, yeah. And I said, dude, I love G versus E. And he's like, oh man, that's awesome. Not too many people do. And I'm like, yeah, well. And we we sat and we talked and had stories and adventures together. Yeah. And he's like, well, hey man, if you're ever around, like, let's go have drinks again. I'm like, sure. He gave me his number. Wow. I, I lost it. Oh. I lost Clayton Roner's number. Oh man. But to, you had a bond. I did. He Clayton, was, if you're out there, he wasn't dissing you. I wasn't dissing he you, just dude. Lost it. I lost your number. And then. Years later, because I told that story to my friend Terry, and Terry was working with Clayton Roner on something, and he goes, oh, yeah. hey, my buddy said he met you at Formosa Cafe, Just explained who I was and all that stuff, and he was like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Oh, he like, remembered oh, he you. Remembered me. He'd been sitting by the phone ever since. I know. So anyway, uh, Clayton Roner, I'm sorry, man. Well, well, thanks for straightening that out, Terry. Jameson says that Starfleet has designated him senior mission officer, and that he will be in charge of the away team and the mission itself. Hmm. Picard is surprised, but he agrees to this. Ridiculous. He's a negotiator, not a commodore. <laughs> all right, has he got to swan on doing all this? Well, he's an admiral, so he outranks mm. Picard. Yeah. But is he an acting admiral? I don't yeah. think he is. No, he's here as a negotiator. Yeah. They go to the bridge where Karnas contacts them again. I don't like this guy. No. Michael Pataki also played Korax 20 years earlier in The Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, right. Mm. That was the, the Enterprise doesn't haul garbage. It is garbage. Oh, is that him? That's him. Oh, and then Scotty socks him. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Ah, oh, that's in my latest video. I mean, Rage Smacky's latest video. What? 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 He tells Jameson the terrorists will only negotiate with him in person. Troy was watching Karnas and Jameson closely and looks worried. She says that Karnas is being honest, but that he's holding something back. And Jameson? She'll probably share her concerns privately, but urgently with Picard. <laughs> Jameson looks nervous when asked to come to a physical, which Troy notices. <laughs> There's lots of her looking concerned mm. at him in this episode. In their quarters, Jameson impresses his wife by getting out of his chair and having a walk. 
He's struck with pain in his chest, but reassures her that this has happened before and it will pass. Oh, what's he done? Meanwhile, Bev tells Picard Jameson lied about his medical records. They are two months old. To placate her rather than act on her concerns, Picard says, I want you on the bridge, then gives Jameson the con. Jameson walks to it and everyone stares. Yeah, he's walking now. Yeah. In the ready room, Crusher says that there is no known cure for Iverson's disease. And Jameson has been confined to the wheelchair for at least four years. And there's no records of anyone ever improving. And surely everyone watching knows that he's taken something. You know, yeah. it doesn't take a brain scientist or Bev to work out <laughs> <laughs> this type of shenanigan. In their quarters, Jameson walks to his wife. Why do we have to see this twice? Mm. And while he's walking to her, he has his back to us the whole time. And wow, shocker reveal. He's 20 years younger with darker, thicker hair. Memories <laughs> of the deadly years when their hair suddenly changed white. Oh, right, yeah. Now it's grown in and become darker. Yeah. He gets the chest pains and she calls sick bay. Crusher finds unknown chemicals in Jameson's bloodstream, and he has no trace of Iverson's disease any longer. Picard heads for answers in Jameson's quarters, where he's in shadow again for ages. Reveal! He's younger again! We get it! <laughs> <laughs> I know you can't just cut to the next scene and he's younger, because that's you got to have a little bit of a reveal. Yeah. But just have him turn around in the chair or something. Just get quicker, it over with. Quicker, yeah. yeah. Instead of have a whole scene. We all know what's happening. Exactly. Starfleet is a right to some answers. I had planned this for a long time now, ever since I learned that I had Iverson's disease, since it put me in that chair. What did you do, Mark? There was a planet in the Cerebus system, Cerebus II. They say the natives there have a process that rejuvenates the body, gives you your youth back. Yes, I've heard of that story. It's a myth. It's true, Picard. I am living proof. Oh, it's dangerous. The mortality rate is high and it's very painful. Aliens are seldom allowed to obtain the process, but I managed it. I negotiated a treaty for service to some years ago and they felt obligated to honor my request for the process. Okay, whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute. So this is a thing. This is a real thing in the Star Trek universe. There is a chemical or a treatment that one can take that will reverse aging. And cure any diseases that you've got. Yes. <laughs> So I am sure that Dr. Crusher is going to jump on this, <laughs> get all yeah. this information to Starfleet, and they're going to go in immediate negotiations with the Cerebus system. Yeah, that's probably the next episode. That's exactly what's going to happen, because obviously something this huge, everybody would be like, what? Yep. What's going on? This is amazing that mm. this exists. Yeah. We're going to hear about that immediately. Right. Wrong. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> well, no. Nobody cares. Is there something that we're not hearing about, like the Prime Directive, which states you mustn't learn about any amazing technology that you found out about? Nope. Nope. It's just, <laughs> well, it clearly is. It's just ridiculous. Unwritten rule. Well, Jameson got some meds for Anne, too, but he had to test it on himself first. Without telling her, you just yeah. share these things with your spouse. Yeah. What? She wouldn't like the idea, I guess. I guess. When the hostage situation came up, he took both doses. Eh? To make things go faster, I guess, so he could be young faster to do these yeah. negotiations. Why didn't you tell her? She might have said no. 
A little buy-in-our action there for you. Jameson goes to the observation lounge and sets up a Zoom with Mordine. Yet more face-in-the-shadow nonsense. Karnas claims political opponents are holding the hostages. Jameson realizes that Karnas never forgave him for the 45 years ago, and Karnas is holding the hostages himself. Oh, he must have done something wrong 45 years ago. Karnas says yes, and the price for the release will be high. Oh, so Jameson swans onto the bridge and tells Picard to go up to warp 8 to surprise Karnas. He's leading an armed rescue mission. Jameson discovers that the maze of tunnels under the city were built over without being changed and guesses that Karnas is holding his hostages there as he did 45 years ago. So Jameson says an armed raid is the only option and Picard says that the Federation might have other ideas, but Jameson is in charge. (laughs) Now you bring the Federation in. Troy and Crusher are talking with Anne because they can't think of anything useful for Troy to do in this episode. Crusher says Jameson is not stabilizing and his life is in danger. Troy says he took the drug because there were lives at stake. Eh? Mm, yeah. Why do you need to be younger to do this? I don't know. Well, maybe he thought he was going to die or that they would beat him up. I don't know. Don't I don't know what they're thinking. Doses, then, do you? No, it's ridiculous. Picard finds Jameson in the observation lounge. He's sitting in the shadows yet again. <laughs> Face away, he slowly turns and reveals himself to be in his 30s, I guess. He's looking like that hot mullet guy from Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Picard gets him to confess that Karnas took the passengers of the Starliner hostage 45 years ago and demanded weapons from Starfleet. Ah, oh, so he was the one who started it all off last time. Yes. Did we know that? No. He seemed like a baddie. Yes, we uh, didn't know that, yeah. but now we know that. Now, two negotiators were sent in, but they were killed. And Jameson was the third, and he said that he was able to get them, but at a high cost. Mm. He gave Karnas the weapons he wanted, and then to preserve the Prime Directive, mm. he gave his opponents the exact same weapons as well. Q-Song! I want to take my best friend to pre-warpers, even though he's an alien. I like having him around. Just put him in a Gots to use this accent, sweetheart. I want to phaser a whole block, leave some tech, and cut the Federation in. But there's that voice from a distant memory. What did they say again? Oh, yeah. Oh, babe. So Picard is appalled by Jameson, but he says it was the only way to get the hostages free. Hmm. So this caused 40 years of war instead of a brief battle that Jameson thought would happen. Now he wants to atone for what happened, but Karnas, of course, wants revenge. So this was a pre-phaser society, was it, before he got involved? Could be. Do you think? Yeah, maybe. They've got boiler suits on, so I thought they'd probably have guns <laughs> at least. Yeah. Yeah. Picard decides to beam down with them to Morden. They move through the tunnels following Jameson's memory of the layout. But why didn't they just beam into where he thinks the hostages are? Well, maybe because it's deep underground, they couldn't beam in that deeply. Mm. But then they do beam out of there later. Yes, they do. So I don't... Just to surprise them. Surprise them, I guess? I don't know. They come upon a wall that's newly built, and Yar and Worf phaser through it. And they go through, a phaser fight starts with lots of people in tie-dyed boiler suits. Which is what Karnas has been wearing. Data is back using contractions. Their phasers, sir, set on kill. Oh. <laughs> Worf leaps and saves Jameson from being shot. So a small bit of heroism from Worf, although he has one line. 
in this whole episode. Mm. Jameson collapses with chest pain, so they beam up. Karnas calls, demanding that Jameson be turned over. He doesn't care if he's dying. Jameson wants to save the hostages, but he is in no condition for a rescue mission. Karnas says if Jameson isn't turned over in five minutes, a hostage will die painfully. Then one every 15 minutes. Picard can't think of a better idea, and he doesn't have time for a meeting, I guess, so he beams Jameson down with Crusher. Karnas doesn't believe it's him. They all explain the whole plot of the episode to Karnas and we have to listen to it (laughs) and finally convince him by showing him a bunch of snaps they took of him aging. Picard says Jameson wanted to atone. Sweating like nobody's business, Jameson double convinces Karnas by showing him the scar of the blood cut on his wrist that they made to seal their bargain. As Tor.com points out, he must look like he did back then. Yeah. When Karnas knew him. Exactly. I thought the same thing. And they had to double convince him. Oh, God. Ridiculous. Just think it through for two minutes, writers. Come on, DC. Are you kidding me right now? You're better than that. Karnas decides to let him suffer instead of killing him, but he dies anyway, with Anne saying that she will always love him. Picard wraps it all up last minute as if anyone cared. The hostages have been freed by Karnas unharmed. And the body of Admiral Mark Jameson has been buried on Mordan at the request of his widow and by the permission of Karnas. The quest for youth, number one. So futile. Age and wisdom have their graces, too. I wonder if one doesn't have to have age and wisdom to appreciate that, sir. I hope not, number one. Mr. LaForge, prepare to take us out of orbit. Set course for ISIS-3. Aye, sir. Leaving orbit. Boy, what a meh. <laughs> so, concept maps. <laughs> can't fit meh into concepts. Why did he need to be younger for the negotiations? He didn't. I don't get how the two plots fit together. The hostage resolution and his sort of needing to atone with him taking the anti-aging drugs. I get he would need to be fit enough to go there, but it's a talking thing negotiation, surely. Yeah, yeah. It's prop- I could see him taking it a little bit to get to the yeah. point where he could walk, but why yeah. would he be jacking it? You know, like it just yeah. didn't make any sense. No. no. Writer Michael Michaelian originally pitched a story idea based on andropause, sometimes referred to as male menopause. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know how he was going to expand that. So I looked up the male menopause on NHS.UK. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and it says, Some men develop depression, loss of sex drive, erectile dysfunction, and other physical and emotional symptoms when they reach their late 40s to early 50s. Oh, boy. Sad news for you. Could be me. Other symptoms common in men of this age are mood swings and irritability, loss of muscle mass, and reduced ability to exercise. Fat redistribution, such as developing a large belly or man boobs. I don't think they'd say man boobs on the NHS website. <laughs> <laughs> rather colloquial, doesn't it? They put man boobs? They've got man boobs in quotes, quotes and yeah. then gynecomastia. Oh, wow. Yeah. A general lack of enthusiasm or energy, difficulty sleeping or increased tiredness, poor concentration and short-term memory. Hmm. But as you can... Yes, those could be attributed to many factors, couldn't they? Including stress and depression, poor sleep, 
alcohol. Yeah. That kind of thing. So it's probably quite hard to mm. separate those. Apparently the term male menopause is misleading because unlike a, a female menopause, there's not a suddenish hormone drop. The decline is steady at less than 2% a year from the age of 30 to 40, which is unlikely to cause problems in itself, it says. Mm. You can get late onset hypogonadism. Mm-hmm. That's something that causes small testes when in babies. Oh, God. Apparently, but this is a late onset thing, and that might require hormone replacement therapy. Wow. Gosh. Yes, I'm not sure how it fits into this uh, <laughs> show or how they were going to try and fit it in. But certainly if he was reaching this point of midlife crisis, feeling that his best days were behind him and the depression and feelings of decline. Right. He wanted well, to go back to his prime so that he could negotiate this but just while I've got you all, I've had quite a few clients who've experienced erectile dysfunction and it's really difficult to talk to your doctor about. It is. And it's led to depression, low self-esteem, even suicidal attempts. Oh, For Some man. of the people I've worked with. Please, guys, if you're experiencing it, get out there and get some of those amazing medications that are available. It might just give you the boost you need to get back. Yeah. Um, confidence. Take a pill. It'll help. Yeah. It's just part of your body. It is. Just like your brain, part of your body might need a bit of medication. Go for it. Give it a go. Yeah. In the original script, he was in his 60s. Decent physical shape. When he got on the Enterprise, he demoted himself to commander, gave Riker his own ship to command, and took command of the Enterprise. He aged too much in this version because of the way the drug interacted with a blood transfusion of alien blood he'd had. Mm. He just wanted to be in his prime, his 40s, mm, as we yeah. all know. All right, you got it. Uh, which makes more sense, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Although, does it? People do People great things. People are wildly competent in their 60s. Yeah. Surely. The planet had a rare antiviral drug removed due to similarity to Code of Honor. And the Ferengi were plotting to attack in this original version. Hmm. Jameson de-aged to 14 and lost all older memories along the way, including any memories of his wife. I'm interested in that. That would have been much better from yeah. my viewpoint. Yeah. Wait a he minute. He wouldn't be able to continue with what he was doing, obviously. Let's, uh, let's sit back. In time a little bit. This sounds awful familiar to oh. me. Animated series. Yeah. The episode with Captain April, the first captain of the USS Enterprise. Oh. Remember they were losing memories because they had that flower. It's been so long since oh, we gosh. watched it. Oof. <laughs> Him oh, and his God. wife. Remember they were yes. kind of getting younger, yeah. I think, and they, but they were losing oh. their memories. Right. Right. Oh, gosh. Oh. Gosh. I didn't think of it until just now as we're recording, but it just clicked with me when you said that. This is me popping on later to say I've looked it up and it's called the counterclock incident. So you can go and check out our coverage of that as a companion piece to this and let us know in your comments how you think it compares. But wouldn't that have been better if it's like de-aging to 40, then he got to about the age when he had done the negotiations, so he still has yeah. the memories of it. And then by the time they get there, he's gone too far and he's a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. In the original story, this helped in the negotiations as he seemed to fulfill a prophecy of a warrior returning reborn as a young man. A payoff of sorts, at mm. least, as mm. opposed to mm. the de-aging part of it. The original ending also had the two opposing parties on the planet sit down for peace talks. Then Wesley gives the teenage Jameson a tour of the ship. <laughs> Cute. Oh, well, DC's final draft was meddled with by attorney Leonard Mazelish. Oh, now we see. Yeah. That's what's happened. Uh-huh. Including a new Wesley scene, which he claimed had been written by Gene, who was out of town. When pressed by Rick Berman, Leonard admitted he had written it himself. He wanted more Wesley. <laughs> Weirdo. That was from the 50-year mission, the next 25 years. Get your sticky fingers out of the script, oh Leonard. Oh, my God. The arms for hostages element of the story was inspired by the Iran-Contra affair. 
And that was from uh, Star Trek Next Generation, the continuing mission, page 66. I still don't really get Karnas's deal. He's got, he had his nose put out because he thought he'd negotiated a prize mm-hmm. for the hostages, but he was the baddie anyway. He was the baddie. He wanted revenge. So he captured those guys and pretended to be innocent to get Jameson to come there mm. so that he can get him. Right, yeah. And Jameson was convinced he was the only one who could negotiate their way out of it. Yeah. But he would have known that Karnas was not on the up and up. Yeah, that so he why was didn't he just send a, someone else in? a duplicitous guy. Well, because yeah. he thought maybe he wanted to atone for what he did. It's a mm, mess. You know, real mess. I, I'm stretching it here to make it work, but yeah. it's it's not great. His desire to atone should not overcome doing the right thing that will actually save people's lives. If he was dealing with Karnas or Karnas's people, they killed two hostage negotiators. Maybe he did really think that he was the only person to do it. But again, mm. it's a stretch. Oh, man. It's not very good. So the concepts were just the de-aging, really. Curing, reversing an incurable disease as well. It made no sense that he took both doses suddenly, unless he thought his mental faculties were inadequate for the negotiation. The- but that's not, it was in the script. She said specifically it affects the body and not the mind. Yeah, yeah, oh. absolutely. It's just the old concept of unfinished business to settle, which we've had many times before in yeah. Star Trek. I'll give it four out of ten, and I think that's generous. I'm going to give it a three. Mm. Yeah, and I, I'm dumbfounded by this whole anti-aging serum that exists in the Star Trek universe that nobody seems to care about. Uh, yep. All right, entertainment. Endless shots of Jameson's face in shadow. We get it. Reveal. Shocker. We know it's about him getting younger. Regarding the makeup, Westmore, the makeup artist, said, if I was working on a film and had several months to test Clayton's makeup beforehand, it probably would have turned out more to my liking. With less than a week to work with, I don't think it turned out too badly. And fair play to him because that is a really difficult job to do in In less than a week. In a week? Oh, man. That's nuts. Yeah. And and it was bad and it ruined it because you knew what was going to happen from the first second that... (laughs) Yeah, the episode the, started, but it might have been a better idea to have like different actors. Yeah, you know, because he was so unrecognizable. Find somebody of similar body types, and then maybe mm. give them a distinguishing feature of some kind. Yeah, a certain kind of beard or a certain kind of hairstyle, Neck tats. facial tats, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Also, the performance of de aging—that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of people out there slating Clayton's performance, but for what he had to do. Well, I know I couldn't have done any better. I thought he did great. I think great. he did okay. Yeah, I think he did great for what he was given. Yeah. There was a lot of gurning going on, which often happens with incidental characters. And yeah. most of the other people in the ensemble cast are toned down. So it stands out. Mm-hmm. It looks pretty silly. Yeah. I didn't care about him. Mm. But I don't know what else he could have necessarily no. done. With no, I think character. he did the best he could. It is a shame that we're bringing in new characters around whom the entire plot revolves. The other people in this episode could have been anyone. Yeah. It wasn't even an episode of Star Trek, really, was it? Hmm, yeah. We still don't know anything about Worf, Geordi, not much about Bev. Yeah, it's bad writing. The regular cast felt that Roner did not work in the ensemble manner very well. I find that hard to believe. Uh, Rob Bowman felt that the show was more words than action. I considered it sit and tell rather than show and tell, he said. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) totally. It's just a bunch of talking. Uh, the team considered Roner's makeup during the earlier parts of the show subpar and ineffective. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's of course true. Bowman said he enjoyed working with Clayton, though, and they spent time together at weekends developing the character, and he considered it a solid episode overall. Mm. Well, you know how nice Clayton is. He's a great He's guy. fun to hang out with. He is. Admiral Jameson's 24th century wheelchair cost the prop department, as you said, $10,000. 
but it did not even move well enough to be anything more than a hindrance. Mm-hmm. And Bowman simply had to shoot around it. Wow, that's from the unauthorized behind-the-scenes story of Next Generation. This Man. seems to happen to Star Trek a lot. Poor guys. There were more haunted props in this episode. Those birds from Karnas' office were in Q's courtroom and will be seen again in two more episodes. Oh, wow. <laughs> a set extension painting in the background of the underground installation during the phaser fight is a reuse of the mega-made set extension from Mel Brooks' Spaceballs. <laughs> is that art imitating? <laughs> art in, I don't know. <laughs> Was that in itself a parody of something like yeah, Star well, Wars? Star Wars. Yeah, it's a Star yeah. Wars parody. So that's fun. Keith DeCandido for Tor.com said Clayton Roner was simply horrible wrong <laughs> and that Marsha Hunt creates no impression whatsoever. Oh. I thought she was all right. Yeah, Keith, come on. He summed up the episode as a missed opportunity and gave it a score of five out of ten. What? <laughs> St- still five out of ten? <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Halden of the AV Club found that this episode's interesting concept was undermined by the character of Jameson being thoroughly unlikable. He was. He described Roner as acting like a Muppet when he's supposed to be elderly and weak and laying on the overheated angst once his youth is restored. Again, I disagree. <laughs> I thought Anne was okay given what she had to work with. Yeah. As I said, I didn't like Karnas' performance. No. I didn't fall asleep watching it, but it did feel long and I kept thinking, move on, we get it. Yeah. Four out of ten. I'm giving it a four only because it had Clayton Roner <laughs> in it. That and, one's for you, Clayton. And if he wasn't in this episode, I would have gave it a two. Okay. Sexiness. Sexiness. Not many people can pull off a sweat-filled mullet, but he did okay. Yeah, he did. 2.5. I'm going to give it a three because, again, Clayton Rona. <laughs> God, funny you'd kept that number. I know. Life could have been so different. We could have been buds. Stupid experts rating. At least it wasn't the deadly ears. True. Troy not saying anything, even though she obviously had her concerns. Yeah. Picard not listening to Bev. Stupid. Yeah. I'm also not caring that there is a yes. chemical agent that can de-age <laughs> yeah. a human being. Should that make it five out of five? <laughs> Gee whiz, man. That just, it blows my mind that nobody's like, oh my God, this is the discovery of forever? Yeah. This is a nut we've been trying to crack since the dawn of time. Oh yeah. <laughs> She's quite negligent. <laughs> <laughs> physician and shit because too the, the thing is it was working but he took too much of it he od'd yeah, on it right. so it yeah. was working great they, give me give me what uh, give me give me give me well, is that tr- why they didn't want it because they thought it did all that to you well if they did something if they said oh look he tried to use it and then it started to work but then it did it doesn't ultimately work because it's a flawed formula yeah but no it was that, working it was Take working it slowly over two years yeah perfect oh Oh, Bev, you can't even treat a gunshot wound with anything under, other than a Kleenex. And now you're turning down the opportunity of an anti-aging drug that cures everything. Oh, my God. All right. Sorry, I love Bev, but I think she might need sacking. Uh, what? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. You're right. I mean, the way they're writers, the way they write everybody, they all need to be well, sacked. Well, they're all stupid, aren't they? So, four out of five? Yes. Uh, guesses. Well, I guessed it was a youth serum. Mm -hmm. It was a real hostage negotiation, but not in the way that we thought. Yeah. Were there really hostages there, actually? Uh, Yeah. Karnas was holding. Yeah. And Troy did sense, and it did have no use. Mm -hmm. If you sense something, say something. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Troy. Yeah. I would like to welcome some wonderful new supporters of the show. All right, great. Welcome Lieutenant Brian Von Soffel and Lieutenant Celeste TOS. Is that the original series, yes. is it? Yeah, yeah, I love it. And congratulations, Grackles, on your promotion to Lieutenant Commander. Well deserved. 
veteran ensign Tony Penny is now Lieutenant Tony <gasps> Penny. <gasps> and Jesse McFarland has also been promoted to Lieutenant. Welcome also Ensign Robert Lou and Ensign Little Miss Miffy. Yay! <laughs> Thank you all so much for uh, supporting the show and joining the crew. Next week, when the bow breaks. Oh dear. I think it's a kid episode. Well, obviously. Yeah. The cradle will fall. The cradle will fall. <laughs> well, we are... We're struggling here, We're struggling guys. here. It's not, it's not good, but it gets so much better. Soon, oh, yeah. soon it does. I know I keep saying it, but it's true. Too short a season. <laughs> That's just rubbing it in. <laughs> And I want to thank everybody for sticking through this with us. Yeah. You guys are, are treasures, and we're going to get to some of the best science fiction television ever created. I can't wait. Yeah, we'll get there, guys. We'll get there eventually. Even though you feel like you're stuck in an RV on an endless motorway with us right now, you'll soon be in the Arctic Ocean swimming with belugas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's all I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek!